<clears throat> had to turn the recorder on. So I want to begin this morning, uh, this uh, season after Easter, with a warning to all of you. I want to let you know that there are unforgivable sins. And the worst unforgivable sin is spoiling Avengers Endgame for someone who has not seen it. This is especially true of your pastor. Now, many of you know that I probably could, if I wanted to, talk about Marvel movies for at least 20 minutes, if not more. And so either to your disappointment or I'm sure to relief for many of you, Today is not this day. But I'm excited because just like Avengers Infinity War, in our gospel lesson this morning, we quite literally have a cliffhanger. Jesus and his disciples are going up onto a mountain in Galilee today, a cliffhanger that takes place on a literal cliff. And so this is the end of that whole 28 episode, I mean 28 chapter story that we've been following since December, the Gospel of Matthew. It is all coming to a close here. And it closes only with Jesus speaking some words and then we're at the end. Jesus takes the disciples up on the mountain, basically says that he's the one in charge now, right? All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what he does with that authority is he sends out the disciples to go make disciples of all nations, right? Closed, full stop, story's over, no CGI, still a lot of loose uh, plot points, right? Uh, it, we, we probably know this if we binge shows. It's a little bit annoying, right? Remember when you'd wait like just a summer to see a cliffhanger over? Now in the age of Netflix, you like burn through 13 episodes in a day, and then you've got to wait a year to see what happens, right? Life is a little bit harder now. Uh, so we miss out that this is a cliffhanger because uh, a lot of preachers have been filling in the rest of the story and telling us that this is not a cliffhanger, right? They'll tell you that, uh, look, we know what happens in the story. The disciples will go out and preach. They'll do miracles. And eventually they'll create this little movement that goes out into every corner of the earth, making Christianity a world religion, starting with these 12 people we hear about today. But eventually they will create a religion that has billions of adherents around the world. And so, as beneficiaries of this movement, we think that the movie uh, starts to shift to us. And we hear this command of Jesus to go make disciples of all nations, something that the church always calls the Great Commission. Have you guys heard of that? Right? It's here. Go and make disciples of all nations. And we think that this is our job. And you'll hear plenty of preachers telling you this. And what they're basically doing is giving you Easter homework. They'll tell you that it's your baptized duty to go out and tell people about Jesus. Now, some of the more extreme ones of them will tell you to go out and stand on a street corner with a megaphone and maybe yell at all the sinners on the strip. Anyone want to get in line to go be one of those guys? 
I had one of them as a patient, by the way. He was very uh, spiritually profound, and he did get a lot of conversions right on the strip, he claimed. So don't knock it till you try it, I guess. Uh, some preachers will uh, try to give you tips for sneaking up on your friends and neighbors and at the right moment getting all Jesus-y on them, right? It's called evangelism of influence. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, don't do that. It's creepy. Pray for your friends. Pray for your friends. Witness to them when it's called for. But don't look for opportunities to sneak up on them with Jesus, right? We don't like to be snuck up on. Uh, Many will say that if you're a real Christian, you'll just jump at every opportunity to talk about Jesus, and the conversions you get will be like if you had a baseball card, your stats on the back, number of conversions. Um, I have had people uh, in my day-to-day work of hospice ministry ask, oh, you're a pastor, how many conversions um, have you had? And I said, well, I think most people that come here are already Lutheran. Um, Uh, And and, uh, others, uh, which I think is probably uh, an interesting way to go about this, they'll urge you to show that Jesus is a good idea and counter that bad press that Christianity gets because of all the knuckleheads out there to tell you to just be a good person or even step that game up a little bit, maybe work on some social activism or charity so that maybe people will see your good works and glorify your Father in Heaven. Some people present this as the best route of evangelism. And here's the thing. I don't blame any of these preachers for doing this. And I'm not going to say that any of these things, other than sneaking up on your friends and neighbors, don't do that. I'm not going to say that anything that is said here is bad. Most of you know this, right? The church is in pretty rough shape. A new Gallup poll has, has come out. And it has found that church membership across every single religion and denomination has dropped by 20% in the last 20 years, since the year 2000. Think about that. 20% market share drop. Um, That means that 70% of the population in this country used to be at least nominally affiliated with the church. And now it's more like 50%. Right? The days where we could just open up shop and put a sign on the door, or like the right sign on the door, right? If we put Lutheran, all the Norwegians and Scandinavians will just kind of show up, right? Those days are over. And I don't even think that those existed in the first place. It was so wonderful uh, to hear about the history of this congregation this morning and this, uh, this congregation's history of evangelism, which was never about sitting on your rear end and waiting for people to show up. It was about sharing that joy. And we, uh, and we still do that, I think. And, but I, the, the church globally needs evangelism. And I say all this, and I'm probably the worst guy to get up here and talk to you about evangelism because I can think of nothing more intimidating than going into a room of strangers and talking to them about religion or sitting down with my non-church neighbors at a barbecue uh, with all my friends, right? I've got a lot of friends that are unchurched. And I'm just sitting at a barbecue, and I go, hey, have you guys really thought about your salvation, right? That terrifies me, right? If you ever ever fly next to me and you're a stranger on a plane and you ask me what I do for a living, right, because everyone thinks everybody who works in Vegas is like a crap stealer, uh, I always tell them I work in healthcare, 
right? There's a there's an episode of House. Any House fans here, right? Where House, uh, he's this doctor who's kind of like you know, a, he's a great doctor but a terrible human being, and he's uh, he's at an off-track betting facility. And somebody starts to have a medical episode, and House runs right over to the guy and goes, hey, is there a doctor in here? That's, <laughs> that's kind of how I can be in those situations. And if this is my job, if I went to school for this, and if I get to wear the fancy clothes, I can't imagine how hard this homework is for all of you. The job of evangelism is necessary but it's difficult, and I think it's a little bit scary. You guys still with me here? And if you agree with me, know that you are in good company. But the antidote to being intimidated is to look at the characters in the story. By the way, that's the best part of Marvel movies you know the characters real well. Captain America would never do that. Iron Man would figure this out, right? It's the best part about being a nerd. And I'm a nerd with the Bible, so let me tell you, once you get to know the characters a little bit, you see that it's these disciples, and they climb up on this mountain with Jesus, right? And they do something that is very characteristic for being uh, the original disciples. We're told that they began to worship Jesus, and then we get this little phrase, but some doubted. Imagine this, right? You've been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. You've watched Jesus heal people. You've heard all the teaching. You've seen the crowds. He's washed your feet. You saw him get arrested. You know he was crucified, and then he greets you after he dies. But still, after all that, you doubt. And if one of Jesus' disciples could doubt standing right there, looking at the resurrected Jesus with his own eyes, how could you too not suffer from doubt? But if you do suffer from doubt, if all this Easter stuff is too unreal for you, if you have a hard time reconciling all the evil and suffering in the world with the goodness of God, if you feel abandoned or let down by God because of your own suffering, or if you came here today just to go through the motions, know this, you are in good company. You are just like one of the disciples. The disciples who gathered with Jesus on that mountain, unlike the Avengers, were not spiritual superheroes. They were people who kept missing the message, people who slept through Jesus' time of trial. So again, if you're sleeping in church, good company. People, (laughs) People who ran like teenagers at a high school party yelling the cops when Jesus was arrested. People who said they never knew Jesus. People who were nowhere to be found when Jesus got nailed to that cross. Brothers and sisters, these disciples were deniers. They were betrayers. And even to the end, they were doubters. So the first people to have that job of being an evangelist, guess what? Flawed people, just like us. And here's the great news. The disciples did not change because they had a new idea about Jesus 
or because they decided to get serious about their commitment to Jesus, or even because they were transformed at all. They remained the same dim-witted, hopeless sinners and doubters that they always were. They did not change. But here's what happened. The entire world changed because he is risen. And the world changed because of a powerful thing. Jesus came and is still here. He is risen. And he is not going anywhere. This is what he closes his message, his little second Sermon on the Mountain with, post-resurrection, right? Sermon on the Mount 2. He closes with, I am with you, and in the text it says, every single day to the end of the age. I don't know why we cut that out, but anyway. I am with you every single day to the end of the age. And so here is a whopping spoiler at the end of the biblical story. Jesus does not fly off into space He doesn't disappear or dissolve into dust like at the end of Infinity War. Jesus is still standing there. We are not waiting for a sequel. The movie is still rolling. Jesus is still the star. He makes a promise. I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. And often I will get asked this question. It is my favorite question. People will ask me, What do you believe about when Jesus is coming back? And I love to say, what makes you think he left in the first place? And I love to quote that to people. It is is a twist no screenwriter could dream of. Jesus might leave, but he never goes away. I am with you until the end of the age. Now, you might think I'm crazy, right? <laughs> How does it happen? We don't see Jesus, right? Jesus doesn't have, you know, a daytime talk show. Jesus isn't there visible right in front of us. But we get a little clue about how Jesus is present in our reading from Colossians that was read so well by Kay this morning. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus is hiding but Jesus is kind of bad at hiding. Because Jesus hides in places where he wants you to find him. He's hiding right there in that water that fills you with the promise of new life. He is hiding right there under that blanket, I forget what that's called at the moment, in that bread and wine that delivers that new life to you. Jesus is there at the end of every prayer, you say, with tears in your eyes to make sure it gets heard. And when the pain takes the words from you, Jesus is there to pray on your behalf. Whenever you stand up, like if you're with Nevadans for the Common Good and you're standing up to those economic bullies called payday lenders, whenever you stand up on behalf of your neighbor, Jesus is right there standing with you. Jesus goes with you when you offer that comfort and support to people who need you just by shutting up and being there. That's why Jesus really doesn't talk that much. He wants to show us what to do. When there is 
misunderstanding and pain between someone you love. Jesus is in that space between you just waiting for that chance of reconciliation and forgiveness. And when it comes, he celebrates it with you. I will never forget the moment that I uh, found Jesus no longer hiding in my life. After college, I went back to uh, St. Ignatius, my alma mater, to work, and they had this program where we took students on Sunday nights to go out and feed the homeless. And I embarked on this project thinking I was getting ready to do such a good and spiritual thing that would be uh, wonderful and charitable to feed uh, people without homes. And little did I know that when I got there and gave you know somebody a bag of Doritos and a sandwich... They prayed like I had just given them the keys to the Taj Mahal in gratitude, not to me, but to God. And prayers that actually meant something. And I was blown away. It was not uh, my job to go out and give people food just because they needed it, and I was such a wonderful and magnanimous person. I was going out there to actually meet Jesus to learn how to pray, to learn what it is to be in need and to feel abandoned and have that need, however small it is meant. So thinking that I was doing something for Jesus, I left my comfort zone, and I met Jesus in the prayers and gratitude of my brothers and sisters living on the streets of Cleveland instead. That was evangelism, but it wasn't my job. And for this reason... I want to tell you as your preacher today, this is nice, Pastor Jason is gone, I can do wild things like this, that all of you who have sent in your resumes and have been hired to this job of evangelism, I am here to tell you, you are fired today. You can put away your cardboard signs. There is no more homework in this class. Jesus is more than a sales pitch, and the kingdom of God is not a timeshare or condo that people have to buy by signing the contract on a dotted line, so you can add that to your resume as a conversion. All of you are are hired instead as good news people. May this news change you. May it change you body, mind, and spirit. Evangelism is no no longer your job, but evangelism because of Jesus has become everything that you are. Forgiven, redeemed, washed in the blood, free and thank the Lord, totally free because He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. There was oomph there because he thought I was done. You're hired instead to go and spoil the movie for everyone who says that we're here on our own. Spoil that movie. Whenever anyone says that we have got to earn this on our own, go and spoil that movie. Tell them that Jesus never left. Tell them to tell them and make sure that they know he won't. Show them that Jesus is at work, hidden already in their lives. Listen to their stories. Value them. Jesus is there with them. And if you don't see Jesus at work in their lives, you might be that work that Jesus is about to do. Stand squarely against evil because you know that Jesus has already died too and with Jesus you've already died to evil. Invite people here to hear the good news that you have heard. Read your Bible knowing that there is actually no cliffhanger because Jesus is with us to the end of the age and now he is risen. He is risen. Amen.
hymn of the day is, Lord, you gave us the Great Commission.